welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who grew up assuming hot girls could get away with pathological lies to their best friends. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Tuping Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 2004's Stuck in the Suburbs. Hello? Opening in July. <laughs> the girl. Jordan, I love you! Wow, you're really good at this. The pop star. I don't want to sing a song, man. Sounds like everything else I've done. Exactly. The assistant. For all intents and purposes, I am Jordan. I handle every aspect of Jordan's life. The cell phone. Please download all my files. My whole life is on that thing. I got your back, man. Find out what happens when a pop star's cell phone falls into the hands of two teenage girls. Look Duck in the Suburbs, a brand new Disney Channel original movie, opening in July. Hi. Hi. <laughs> how are you today, Audrey, Anna um, Leach? How are you? <laughs> you know, um, the weather's really nice here today, so I took an hour before this meeting I had for work and I like took a cute trip to the library and then took a cute trip to the coffee shop and enjoyed some sun. It's June 28th, the day we're recording this. So the Supreme Court decision dropped on Friday. Hot new drop. I've been thinking about that a lot. That happened on Friday, and then it was Pride Weekend in New York City this past weekend, and my birthday also was on Sunday. So it was like a really bizarre tornado of things to think about um, and see and witness. <laughs> so yeah. you should also uh, share with the people the other significant milestones associated with your birthday. I have a bunch. I have a bunch of June 26th related things that are like good contributions to culture <laughs> at large. Okay. One is Ariana Grande's birthday is the same day. Jeanette McCurdy's birthday is the same day. And Aubrey Plaza's birthday is the same day. Hey. And also my 18th birthday, which was in 2015, is the same day that gay marriage was legalized in this country. <laughs> and it was funny because I was actually a theater camp counselor at the time <laughs> on no that way. day. And um, so I was surrounded by children. And then <laughs> also the... Uh, director of that camp is a lesbian and so she was like immediately started crying and it was like it was oh yeah it, it was wow. a good good moment that's cute I didn't know about all that yeah we like told her we like went up on stage because we I think we were sitting in the audience are you like drum roll please <laughs> to our lesbian drama director I mean she it wasn't nothing major was going on but like we got the notifications yeah. on our phones and we were like oh my god like we're gonna tell her <laughs> that's cute actually yeah it sounds like you still had a fun birthday despite the circumstances 
Yeah. I mean, also, it, because it was the same day as New York City Pride, though, it's like post-apocalyptic out there. Like, it yeah. is 100 degrees. Everyone's naked, sweating. Like, just, I don't know. It, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's hard to know. I know at least for me, and like, maybe we don't have to get into this, but I know at least for me, like, there have been so many horrible things that have happened over the past few years that like, I'm almost kind of numb to them at this point. And like, as diehard listeners of the show will know, like, I've had experiences with abortion before, even with all this personal, like, experience with it. There's still a part of me that's like, well, someone out there has it worse or, like, something worse is going to happen, which is, like, a little dark for the pod. But, you know, yeah, I can't be the only one who feels that way. I, so. Who doesn't? No woman I know. It, it's yeah. hard to not just feel so powerless that it, it turns into, like, despondency <laughs> like just just yeah completely shutting down but I feel like for everybody it's like you'll you'll handle it the way that you need to and then hopefully <sighs> I don't know hopefully we can figure yeah. out real ways to take action a lot of things that I've heard m- recently are like it's about creating noise or like creating groups in your small community, like demanding of your local representatives to vote in certain Mm -hmm. ways and like the trickle up, trickle up type of thing. But like other people are like, we have to literally burn something down. (laughs) So it's like, it's well, both. Like it's a valid form of action, I guess. But like, that's going to take a while. Yeah. Like years. I live. Yeah. And like, I live in Ohio and you can't, get an abortion now because the the same I think the day after or the same day that it got overturned there was like immediately a ban put in place and now you can't get an abortion if you're past six weeks which means six weeks since your last period yeah so like you're basically just fucked Mm -hmm. you know I think we all should (laughs) be nuns (laughs) We're we're all That's the reform we're looking for. <laughs> we're all we entering all become nuns. We're entering our nun era. <laughs> you are one of the most progressive political minds of our time. And I think the more people should be listening to this podcast for this analysis and this organizational effort. I mean, damn. Okay, our hot take of the week. This is a homegrown one straight from my mind. Okay. Audrey requested a song versus song because we all know that Sneaker Night versus He Said, She Said started a really (sighs) potent conversation culturally for us. So I would like for us to debate two gems of 2008. La La Land by Demi Lovato. And start all over by Miley Cyrus. I have to wonder if there's ways to be to ride. Mmm, La La Land wins. <laughs> I agree, but I remember when the music video for Start All Over dropped, it was like a moment. Yeah. Do you and remember it? Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. I do. It's a one shot. La La Land can't really be beat for me, but if you were to put 
pretty much any other Demi song against a Miley song from that era, I probably would choose the Miley one. But just with like that specifically, who says I can't win? Oh, wait, that's a different song. Wait, no, that's it. No, that is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who says I can't wear my comforts with my dress? I feel like with that song really, really, really showed how insanely good at singing they are. When they go up the octave and do all the crazy runs. Who said I can't be Anyways, so let's get into this information surrounding everyone's favorite decom, Stuck in the Suburbs. Okay. So Stuck in the Suburbs was uh, premiered on Disney Channel on July 16th, 2004. It was not rated because obvious reasons. And it was directed by Savage Steve Holland. That was his name on IMDb. And he directed uh, the Big Time Rush movie and 21 episodes of Big Time Rush. Fairly odd movie. A bunch of Unfabulous. A bunch of Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. Phil the Future, Zoe 101, Lizzie McGuire, etc. He did a lot for our age group when it comes to TV. The screenplay was written by Wendy and Amy Engelberg sisters, a sister writing, producing duo, and they have worked together on Fuller House, What I Like About You, Drop Dead Diva, Daytime Divas, and Sunny with a Chance. Next, we have the very esteemed Dan Berenson, who wrote the teleplay for this movie, but also has written like screenplays for other stuff. But this is the stuff he's written. Baby Daddy, the Hannah Montana movie, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Camp Rock 2, the Wizards movie, as in Wizards of Waverly Place, Cheetah Girls 1 World, Twitches, Twitches 2, Halloween Town High, more than that. But those were the most relevant to us. These movies weren't ones that had particularly large impacts on us. I got a synopsis off Letterboxd and I thought it was pretty shitty. So I checked the other resources and they all have like pretty amusingly different synopses. So, um, Audrey, would you like to read us these? Yes. So the synopsis from Letterboxd is Brittany Ahrens is one of the many girls who has a crush on popular singer and boy toy Jordan Cahill. However, she is bored of living a suburban existence and seeks a little something more. I believe that that one is not that good because it doesn't even mention the friend. Also, what is seeks a little something more? It doesn't even talk about the like what happens in the movie like at all. The second one's from Rotten Tomatoes. It says two friends set out to reveal the true persona of a pop star whose flashy image was manufactured by his record company. I feel like that's something that just ends up happening. It's not ne- it's not really what they set out to do, but that is the result of what yes, of the events basically. Yes. And then finally, the IMDb synopsis is teenager Brittany is bored with her quiet suburban life. She finds excitement when her phone is switched with the phone of Jordan Cahill. Jordan, only the top teen pop singer of the world, has come to her town (laughs) to make a music video. (laughs) He's a top. Don't tell anyone. Um, Okay. Taglines. Apparently, no taglines, which I guess makes sense because it was TV. Getting into this cast, 
I only credited four people because honestly, there's really only four characters in this that are worthwhile to me. Okay, first of all, we have Danielle Panabaker as Brittany, our protagonist. Um, you probably know her from, of course, Rita and Weep as the cool older sister. She's also like the pretty Earth superhero in Sky High, but she also was in The Flash for like a million years. She was in Friday the 13th um, and Empire Falls. She is, um, and she still acts to this day, unlike Kay, who, as we know, has become a zoologist. Um, yes. Next up, we have Brenda Song as Natasha. And of course, we all know her best as London from The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. But she also, of course, was in Wendy Wu. And nowadays-ish, she is in Dollface. She was in The Social Network. She was in Secret Obsession and Amphibia. Next up, we have Ryan Belleville as Eddie um, he was on the show Workin' Moms. It is, in fact, stylized as Workin'. Um, he also was in the Hotel Transylvania series, Satisfaction, and the L.A. Complex. And last but not least, we have Taryn Killam as Jordan Cahill, definitely best known as a cast member of Saturday Night Live, but he also has been in 12 Years a Slave, Brother Nature, Killing Gunther and Nature Cat. And I want to save all of our Taryn Killam commentary for the second half. Yeah. <laughs> because there's a lot to say. What are these numbers looking like? The budget is an estimated $1 million. And on opening weekend, the film received 3.7 million viewers at its premiere slot, including top rankings in the time period for the kids 6 to 11 and 9 to 14 demographics. I think we were in that slot. Definitely. Definitely. Probably. Yeah. Getting into these critical and audience opinions. There was no critic score and no critic consensus for this movie on IMDb. Um, however, there's a 63% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 2.7 star rating on Letterboxd. That's and here's fair. Some audience. <laughs> yeah, here's some audience opinions between the two. People really think this movie is gay. And we will get into that in the second half, but most of like the takes that I could harvest um, had to do with some level of gayness. Okay, first one, we got five stars. Ladybird wants what stuck in the suburbs has. The second rating is 1.5 stars, not Taryn from SNL playing a hot teen idol when Drew Seeley was right there playing a motherfucking front desk clerk. <laughs> Five stars. Brittany's obsession of Jordan Cahill, even though she is a baby gay and has the biggest crush on Natasha, literally me and my tween obsession with the Jonas Brothers, even though I'm pretty sure I had a crush on every girl that smiled at me on the street. The next one is a 1.5 star rating. Quote, you can only blame yourself. The suburbs are just a state of mind. Jordan Cahill. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one. I'm having an absolute meltdown right now after realizing this toe looking MF from SNL played the hot boy pop star in the Disney Channel original movie Stuck in the Suburbs. Tweets from recent-ish times. I just have these two. And again, it's about being gay. I'm going to turn the classic Disney original film Stuck in the Suburbs into a lesbian rom-com because, I mean, have you seen it? Basically already is one. Second tweet. Stuck in the Suburbs is a perfect lesbian coming-of-age movie. I am serious. 
anything I found that was even relatively of interest had to do with um, being gay. So give one sentence and I will give one sentence. Personally, I don't see it that way. I don't feel that way about this movie at all. You're allowed to just be jealous. One sentence. Like you're allowed to just be jealous of someone and be their friend without it being that you know what I mean like all the all the youth of you're going let, way over limits. it doesn't stop, matter stop, it doesn't matter stop, let, stop. let me finish uh, all the people that use letterbox just like to make comments like that it doesn't it's like not that serious okay my one sentence because I'm going to respect the rule that I laid out is that this movie is the perspective flipped version of Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen in the friendship dynamic that I have been wanting. Is it a good execution of it? We'll talk about that in the second half. Technically, that was more than one sentence. Okay, well, it wasn't as much as you. You gave us a whole body paragraph. For cultural context, I just put other DCOMs that came out in 2004. There really weren't that many. There was Pixel Perfect, Going to the Mat, Xenon Z3, this one, Tiger Cruise, and Halloween Town High. I think it was a little early for us. I think we might have seen Stuck in the Suburbs like right when we first started watching Disney Channel because we kind of started watching relatively late because we didn't know it existed. I don't even have memory of that whole thing, but... I remember we were like strict Nickelodeon Cartoon Network girls and then one day I found out that Disney Channel existed when I was like flipping through channels or something and was like, oh, there's a whole world out there. Anyway, (laughs) when did we first watch? And what do we remember? I remember watching it in the basement at Silver Lake, our childhood home. I remembered there was guitar in it. And that was all. The only thing that I could remember was like vaguely the backseat of a minivan and whatever that song was. I knew there was like an original song in the movie, but I couldn't tell you what it was or what it sounded like. But there is that one song on the soundtrack that's like very impactful, but I currently can't remember what it is. It's a good life. Don't know why I'm dripping. The good life slipping away. That song made a big impact for whatever reason. Yeah. Okay. Well, this gem is on Disney Plus. So if you want to go give it a quick watch and then join us back here, I implore you to do so. Be right back. (laughs) BRB. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. Okay, everyone, we are back to talk about 
a gripping piece of cinema. Stop <laughs> Audrey and I were just on our break and I asked her, Audrey, how much attention did you actually pay to this movie <laughs> when you were watching it? I mean, I hate to like expose myself or I guess ourselves because it's like, yeah, this is the job, you know, but sometimes I think we have to be honest and <laughs> be held accountable. <laughs> This is my apology video for <laughs> falling asleep during the last maybe 15 to 17 minutes. <laughs> That's not even that long. That's not that no. bad. No, but, and I like skimmed back over it and I was like, yeah, I, I know. I know what goes down. Like it's like a very slow conclusion and it's very obvious where it's going to go. I guess we can just start off with. The elephant in the room, which is that Taryn Killam is extremely absurd in this role. You can just tell that he, like, also thinks it's funny that he's playing it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and the, like, fake music video part where all the girls are screaming behind the, like, fence. And he's... <laughs> and also the music video that was shown corny collins style did you notice yeah. that yes yes i i actually noticed like four different like classic film references <laughs> really yeah these are just tiny little details that i enjoyed and admired the mom in the very beginning when the girl sings something and then the mom sings it back to her and she's like slaying vocals for no reason <laughs> Do you remember that part? It was like choral. It was like a, it was like a. It was like Broadway vibrato. mom. Yeah. Yeah. It was very Broadway mom to me, but it was like super out of context. It was like no, like the director didn't tell her to like tone it down. Like she, it was a musical in that moment. This movie Why was a musical. Why can't she be a good singer? <laughs> I just, I just wanted to know more. Let her slay. <laughs> it was a slay. And I was like, what is the story here? Like, does does the daughter want to be a pop star because her mom never had her mowing in the sun? That's the movie I want to see. You kind of have to shout out the mom's communication skills. Like the mo in that scene, she's like, she's like, I'm sad that you feel this way. Like, do you really feel this yeah. way? Like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And she, like, takes her feelings really seriously. I just thought, I just thought it was good. That's a good point. She is a weirdly fleshed out mom character for a movie like this. Yeah, because you've got this, this whole B plot about the mom trying to save an old house because kind of the undertone of this whole film is that like the McMansions are taking over and like that genuinely is a subplot like or a theme yeah. of this movie that is very rarely explored in children's media and in media in general as far as like developments go the like housing yeah. developments and we're super familiar with those because where we oh. went to high school oh yeah the entire city is filled with all these different housing developments and in yeah. the surrounding areas and so i kind of appreciated the the exposing of the McMansion. <laughs> I mean, the neighborhood, is her name Brittany, the main girl? Yeah. The, Brittany's neighborhood looked 
basically exactly like ours in high school. I noticed. I also thought it was interesting, though, like maybe Britney was more aware of suburbia being the way it is because her mom is kind of on the hate train. Like, I feel like otherwise it's like, how would you know better if you are just like a random soccer girl from a suburb, you know? Yeah, but she's talking about wanting to live in like a big city versus the mom actually seems content in her community. She just doesn't <laughs> like what's going on with the the historical house or whatever, but she's, she seems to be okay with being where she is. Okay. I know you said it's not gay, but I guess, okay. I don't even necessarily agree that it is gay, but like the second that Brenda song showed up, I was like, this has a very deep, like, Lola and Ella from Confessions parallel, but it's from the perspective of the not-so-fabulous friend. And then once Brenda was like, yeah, we used to live in Milan or whatever, I actually felt in my soul that she was lying. I was like, there's no way that's true. But then I was like, eh, maybe it just is. And then, because I was convinced, Miss Song had me believing that she actually was all that. And then when when the gag came later, I was like, I actually kind of was convinced that the gag wasn't coming throughout this whole thing. I don't know why though, because in the very beginning, I thought that it would happen. I just, I, I'm trying to understand like, what's the point of projecting gayness onto a movie like this? Because you don't have to add that element to get the lesson and for even to be compelling relationship between the two, because they're both, do you know what I mean? Like, what's the point of that in this particular case? I can see it way more for other movies where it's really hard to ignore, but like, yeah, I mean, I think for me, the, the, like, just to go back to the confessions thing for one second, because it applies to this, like the thing that sold me on that was how emotional Allison Pill is when she's talking to Lindsay Lohan, when she's like almost not going to do the show. Like just the way that she does that whole scene, I'm like, this does not feel platonic. Yeah, but I um, buy it for that movie. I just don't buy it for that. I'm, yeah, I'm getting to that. Yeah, I didn't get romantic from this, but I could see how you could project it really easily. And the thing that I'm kind of coming around to or starting to like realize and like respect slash understand is that for a lot of like queer people, they're so used to like fanfic, like fan fictionalizing yeah. everything that it's like you kind of can't help it to a certain extent because there's so few like in world like canonically gay characters yeah. um, that like you might just be hardwired to project that onto stuff. And I think that that's fun and harmless. Yeah, I mean, it is, of course. But um, sometimes when people are so like adamant about certain like films or pieces of media where it's just like really clearly not the case. I'm like, yeah. if that's your, if that's what you have going on in your head, that's fine. But like, it's not actually there, literally. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, th that has always driven me crazy about all the people who really believe that Taylor Swift is a lesbian. <laughs> okay. I feel the same way. That shit has always annoyed me. Yeah. 
I think it just kind of strikes a similar chord in my soul. And that's why I will even feel that way to be like, well, why even project it when it's so clearly not there? Like, why not create your own, like fanfic is a great example. It's like, you mm-hmm. can take those characters and do what you want with them. And that's great. But like in terms of the actual Like thing, trying to push your agenda on a thing and insist that it's yeah, right. Yeah. But I feel like we're going to stir the pot with those listening at home <laughs> with this statement. But you know what? Join our Discord server we're and hop in the ring. you. Hop in the ring. <laughs> we never said we would agree with everything. <laughs> we never said we were here to play nice. we're here to dismiss bisexuality claims of taylor swift if she was if she actually did claim either of those identities she would have taken the opportunity years ago yeah that's how i feel she would have taken that opportunity and ran with it that's why it's not true she would have said it in the lover era had it been true yeah and that that's that on that Also, it's like you think she wouldn't have seized the opportunity to become like the face of Target's pride section. Yeah, like if she could claim a minority, she absolutely fucking would claim a minority. I did you see that TikTok that was about Billy Porter wearing a dress that had been like intended for Taylor Swift, like, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, there's some bitch on TikTok who's like, more proof that Taylor Swift is gay. And it was like, they were trying to say that like during the lover era, Taylor Swift was gonna, you know how she performed at Stonewall randomly? She like played a random like small thing at Stonewall. I am pretty sure. And there was this dress that was made for her that was like made out of tulle. And it was like a like a flesh tone bodysuit, like flesh tone for her bodysuit with like all this like rainbow tulle. And they're like, it was made by Christian Siriano. And then she refused to wear it because she decided to not come out. And then Billy Porter wore it <laughs> because the flesh tone like doesn't match him. Mm-hmm. And apparently it was like public knowledge that like Christian Siriano was making something for Taylor. And also okay, I found that to be that- weird. I- When does that ever mean she was going to come out if she wore it? She wears rainbow shit all the time. I'm sure (laughs) that there is like some like document tracking it all down. And that is our open forum (laughs) on projecting lesbianism onto things that are not lesbian. Overall, it's harmless, but Uh, I (laughs) do reserve the right to feel a bit annoyed sometimes. (laughs) Yes, me too. I feel like everything we just talked about is going to be more interesting than our movie analysis anyway. So I'm just going to say a couple other moments that I really appreciated. When the little brother makes the gigantic Sunday and then the dad takes it away and puts it in a cupboard. (laughs) I thought that was funny. I loved how insanely mean the fight was between Brenda Song and Brittany. Like, when Britney's like, you're just pathetic. And then Brenda Song is like, if I'm so pathetic, why are you so desperate to be like me? I was like, yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of the Aquamarine fight. I love, I love a good fight between the protagonists mm-hmm. in a movie like this. Speaking of which, I haven't watched Aquamarine in Please. a long time. I think you act since- like you need me all the time <laughs> when the truth is. <laughs> You're so mad at the world that nobody even wants to talk to you. (laughs) It's so good. 
uh, like maybe we can stand on our own for a change. <laughs> Literally, the way that I like you ripped mean- off. <laughs> I mean, I'm not your mom. The fact that the movie ends and Brittany has this like weird friendship with Jordan Cahill. I was like, how is that going to work? Yeah. Also, I wrote down that could only be explained by homosexuality, which I do kind of agree with still. In my mind, I was like, if she liked boys... It would make that weird. I'm just saying that it doesn't seem realistic that they would, like, remain texting and phone call friends. Well, it's not like we're ca- it's not like we're seeing them, like, six months later. Like, it's, like, right after it happened. Like, it's still How fresh. Know? How do you know? I just feel like they would tell us if there was a time jump. I feel like it was supposed to be, like, not a huge time jump, but, like, at least a few months. Because how could there be a music video with the best friend starring in it that quickly? Which, what was that ending? Do you, like, understand what happened there? No. (laughs) I, like, I, like, rewound it and watched it again because I was, like, was I not paying enough attention? And it still didn't make any sense. What did you think of the freaking montage, though? Oh, the relationship montage? It seems gay to me. Well, what it is is they just didn't write well and like they like threw in the montage to drive the point home and then ended up making it feel differently than the relationship was I agree I agree I thought that was really weird (laughs) I think the whole thing is kind of interesting because it's like all stems from the Jordan Cahill crush and it's like Brenda being like Jordan Cahill like who cares about that and then she's like yeah I don't and then just like ditches her friends and everything and it's just like I'm with this cool girl now did you notice that when uh Brittany was like working on her songs when they showed you the notebook it was blurred the, the title wasn't blurred but the lyrics were blurred yeah I was like what did they write there like, lyric, lyric, lyric? Like, did they just not come up with anything? Um, I'm assuming that's just a Disney Plus thing. It probably wasn't like that when it aired on TV. But... Why would that be... Why would they add that after the fact? It could be a legal thing. Like, say she wrote lyrics that are to another song or are, like, owned by someone else for whatever reason, like... Yeah, They're probably just sense. covering a base, yeah. Also, in the one scene where uh, they're, it's like right before they have the big fight, um, and they're at the school, and Brittany's talking about how she controls Jordan Cahill's life, and there's like that whole cluster of girls facing her. There's like a five-year-old behind one of the middle schoolers. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's really tiny and just standing there, and I was like, whose daughter is that? Like, how did she end up in here? <laughs> um, but we should go back and find it because it's literally like a two-foot difference. Did you have anything for good or question mark or did we just cover it? Yeah, we just covered it. I mean, I like the some of the outfits they put on Brenda were good. And I just mm-hmm. love Brenda's song in general. I just I just love her. Yeah, <laughs> she's great. I love her too. I have a few questions for the culture here. My first question is, who was Jordan Cahill supposed to be going for? Like, Who was he supposed to be modeled after? Is it like Justin Justin. Timberlake? I thought that was a bit of a reach, but okay, I'll take that. Um, The entire 
crux of the movie being that Jordan gives his phone to his manager and is like, my whole life is on this man. Like you got to whatever. And then the phone goes missing. How does Jordan not figure that out sooner? Like, does he not need his phone? Mm. Cause it's like a secret from him for a long time. Did I miss something in the beginning where Jordan's like, you got to keep this shit away from me, man. I'm going crazy. You know, like being on your phone wasn't, it wasn't as much of a thing as far as just like living on your phone. Um, But yeah, I think he definitely would have noticed. I thought it was really funny at the end where Jordan is standing on the porch of the house playing his song and then it like pans down and there's like a band on the bottom balcony thing, like the porch, like playing. It's like, why did you show us that? Is that just to prove that it was like diegetic, fully accompanied song? He's holding the guitar. Like, oh, he's. Sh- uh, and then <laughs> bottom level, it's like bassist, drummer, keyboardist, just like standing there kind of playing along. But like leading up to that, he's like, I'm so nervous. Like, I never do this, blah, blah, blah. It's like all about me this time. And. I just assumed that it was like an impromptu performance, but I guess the band was flown in as well. So, or maybe they were in town because of the music video shoot. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Cause the whole thing is she's like, she's trying to blackmail him. Like, I'll give you the phone back if you do this thing um, to like help my mom basically. Right. And, um, and the assistant guy is like, no, he can't do it. He's, he has a thing he has to do. It's kind of not worth even like parsing any of this shit apart yeah. to a certain extent because it's like so clearly made for like eight-year-olds in a boring way. Yeah, kind of. But I also feel like it is age appropriate and there are like some saucy things in there for an eight-year-old. Saucy. Yeah. Saucy for an eight-year-old. Like, which yeah. to me is just like arguments. <laughs> right. That's true. Saucy arguments. Is this movie good? No. It's not not the worst. It's not the worst. We've done worse. It's not the worst. It's like a solid four out of ten. Maybe five out of ten. Yeah. I mean, there's funny things to look at now. But, I mean, there's a reason why, like, I didn't really rewatch it as a kid. Because the idea isn't even that strong. Like, I feel like with, um... With Read It and Weep, it's, like, a strong idea. It's, like, a strong concept, and it's, like, a pretty fantastical execution. It's, like, the kind of thing that you remember, whereas this one is more like Taron Killam being a weird fake pop star, and that's it. Is it worth watching? No. (laughs) Sure. Audrey's being so generous today. Um, No. I would say no. There's more fun decoms to watch. I believe we have come to a conclusion for this week's episode. Still have a good collab coming up. I'm also just excited for next week's episode in general. Um, I think we'll get into some good juicy conversation. We appreciate you listening as always. Um, If you want to buy yourself some merchandise, I still have it. And you should look into it. Maybe we'll do a hot, hot sale sometime soon. I was thinking that might be a good idea. Otherwise, stay safe out there. If you're going to protest, stay safe, take care of yourself. It's an exhausting time. And I hope that our little escapist moment here helped you 
um, feel better in some way or at least took your mind off of the hell of life. So um, on that note, we'll be back next week. I'll take them out. I'll take them out. Ready? Yeah. It's a good life. Don't know why I'm tripping. The good life's living away. In the nerner. That's all I know. <laughs> Great job. Great job. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover-cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopinkpictures.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Sleepover Cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube and Facebook every Thursday. And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share an episode or two with a few friends. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman and has theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Our executive producer is Michael D'Aloya. Leave us an iTunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next, or leave us one because you like us and it's good for the algorithm and we need it. We'll chat again soon. Bye. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.